good. Are you so glad that he saved you? Where would you be if the Lord had not touched you? Have you ever thought about that? No place good. Everybody say lost. Yeah. And that's why we need a shepherd. And that's why we're going through the 23rd Psalm. Now I have a quick question for you. Um, if I were to do a series after this on the gifts of the Spirit, what would you think of that? Would you be interested in that? Now, because a lot of people wonder, because there's the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and, and um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and a lot of people wonder, what is the word of wisdom? What's the word of knowledge? You know, what is the gift of healing? What is the gift of all the gifts that are named? So, seriously, how many would be open and interested in that? What if I was to go through the book of Hebrews? Let me Oh, uh, we got a divided church here. Um, okay. I'm going to have to pray. I'll just do both. I mean, you know, we're... Okay. All right. Well, tonight we're on the 23rd Psalm, and we are on the verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley. But every week we've been reading the whole thing and quoting the whole thing. I'd like to do it again tonight. Because we ought to really memorize this psalm. Amen? Six verses. And uh, so let's read it together. Everybody, are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, I love this one because look what it makes, what God makes the devil watch. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you that you gave this, this incredible, profound psalm. So simple and yet so profound. And Lord, tonight I pray as we look at this key verse, this verse 4, that Lord, you'll open it up to us, uh, shine new light on it, give us fresh revelation on it. Give us wisdom. Lord, may the Holy Spirit, the great teacher of the church, be here to teach us and open every eye and open every heart and every ear to hear and understand the Word of God. Breathe a prayer with me, church, and say, Lord, tonight, give me fresh revelation and change my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't fear, don't be afraid. Praise the Lord. All right. We're in verse 4. Now, um, this is easily, when you talk about the 23rd Psalm, this is easily the most quoted verse of the 23rd Psalm. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It, it's so comforting, though we don't like to talk about death. I won't fear any evil. I will not be afraid of evil. Though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because he's with me. He's with me. You're never in your valley alone. Amen? Your rod and your staff, 
They comfort me. You know, hardly a funeral goes by without the minister quoting this famous verse. It immediately brings comfort and assurance that no matter how dark our circumstances may be, the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, our shepherd, my shepherd, your shepherd, is with us. So I've shared with you that every one of these verses is is really a two-part. There's two aspects, uh, two angles, two truths in every one of these verses. So let's take 23 verse 4, part A. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of evil because you are with me. Now, what I've wanted to do is bring this psalm to you from the eyes of a shepherd. I've pulled heavily from Philip Keller and his teaching on the 23rd Psalm, his book on the 23rd Psalm. And uh, he used to be a real, genuine shepherd. And so he opens this psalm up to us in a way that we Americans could never know it because Anybody in here ever shepherded sheep? That's what I thought. I've shepherded human sheep, but I've never shepherded sheep sheep. Okay? And uh, so, in real shepherding of real sheep, this verse marks the time when the shepherd will lead his sheep up into the mountain meadows for the summer months. Most good shepherds will lead their flocks to these distant ranges where the grass is green and rich. Depending on the season, that's where the shepherd takes the sheep. Sometime soon, I'm going to bring a message on the seasons of our life. Because all of us are in a season in our life. Uh, It could be spring, the spring of your life, or the summer of your life, or how about the winter of your life. And and we're all in a a season. And, And as God seems to do unique things with us, depending on the season we're in, The shepherd of real sheep, uh, depending on the season, takes them to unique places. What I like about Jesus, what I love about Jesus, is he never leaves us where we are. All right? Now, some Christians don't like change, and and they'll do their best to fossilize and stagnate and, and stay in one place for the rest of their lives. If you were to look at their life, it's heel marks all the way. Right? But... For the person who's really following Jesus, he's always saying, let's go over to the other side. He was always telling his disciples, let's go to the other side. Get in the boat, let's go to the other side. He was always taking them to the other side of somewhere. And when they arrived, it was a new adventure, a new teaching, a new lesson, new truth, a new revelation of who he really was. But that's another message. I'm jumping ahead of myself. But The real shepherd of real sheep was the same way. He was always taking them somewhere new. Most good shepherds will lead their flocks to the distant ranges where the grass is green and rich. And that's what they did depending on the season as the seasons changed. Now, this often entailed long drives, and I don't mean in your car, right? But driving the sheep where the sheep move along slowly, feeding as they go. Can you imagine the patience required of a real shepherd? I mean, me, Cindy's always telling me, you walk too fast. Slow down. I don't mean to. I'm kind of long-legged and I kind of walk fast. But here's the deal. Uh, I don't like going slow. God's always having to pull the reins back on me. It's funny, when I began in the ministry, I was the hesitant preacher. I didn't want to do it. Once I really got into it, he was always having to pull me back. Now, um, 
imagine a real shepherd leading real sheep. They're just going slow. They're stopping constantly to, to feed and eat that green grass and drink the water and taking their time. So the shepherd had to be an exceedingly patient man. Aren't you thankful Jesus is patient? Amen. Amen. Now, they gradually worked their way up the mountains behind the receding snow. And with the approach of autumn, early snow settles on the highest ridges, relentlessly forcing the flock to withdraw back down to lower elevations. Finally, toward the end of the year, as fall passes, the sheep are driven home to the ranch headquarters where they're going to spend the winter. But as they're coming down off the mountain, headed to their ranch headquarters, they're going to pass through some valleys. Now, it's this segment of the yearly operations that is described in the second half of Psalms 23. So starting at verse 4 through verse 6, this is where we are. The shepherd is leading the sheep back down towards the ranch headquarters. That's what's going on. And during this time... The flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They're in intimate contact with him and under his personal attention day and night. They have to be because they're going through some very precarious places. You know, the Lord doesn't keep you and I in a safe bubble. Now, he protects us, but he does not protect us from from the realities of life. He protects us from the attacks of the devil. He protects us from sin, but he does not protect us from the realities of life. Have you realized that? Come on, everybody. Do you still get flat tires? I do. Well, I haven't had one in a long time. I'm not confessing that. I'm not naming that. I'm not asking for that. But I mean, you know, we still, we experience life like other people, right? Um, But where the shepherd, when he's taking them down off this mountain, they're going to go through some valleys. They're going to go through some very, very difficult terrain where there are poisonous plants and where there are predators and all kinds of things, and I'll get into that more in a minute. But as the shepherd leads the sheep back down the mountain, he encounters valleys. Every mountain, I want you to say this with me, every mountain has its valleys. You want a mountaintop experience, you're going to go through a valley to get there. Don't shout me down on that one. And when you're coming down off a mountaintop experience, you're going to go through a valley. Life is a series of, at least my experience has been, it's a series of mountaintops, valleys, mountaintops, valleys, mountaintops, valleys. I love the mountaintop experiences, but the Lord never lets me stay there for life. I always come back down and go through a valley of some kind or another. And because he's going to teach us, as we're about to see, some beautiful things in the valley. So on the way up, they go through a valley. And on the way back down, they go through a valley. Any sheep man knows this. He leads his flock gently but persistently up the paths that wind through the dark valleys. Notice how the psalmist says, though I walk through, everybody say through, the valley. He does not say I die there. He doesn't say I stop there. He doesn't say I live there. He says I'm going through there. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Go ahead and thank the Lord. That's all right. The Christian passes through many kinds of valleys. Let's talk about some of the valleys we go through. The Valley of Disappointment. Anybody been disappointed in 2019 yet? 
by something, all right? We go through the valley of discouragement, don't we? We go through the valley of dilemmas. We go through the valley of dark days. We pass through midnights of the soul. <clears throat> but trials and temptations are not supposed to be dead-end streets. Valleys are not supposed to be our tombstone. They're supposed to be our stepping stone to the next mountaintop. Can I say that again? Your valley is not supposed to be your tombstone. It's not where God wants to bury you. Your valley is to be your stepping stone to the next mountaintop. That's what it is for these sheep. The, the shepherd knows, yes, we're going through a valley, but we're headed towards a mountaintop, and that's why we're going through a valley. Every valley should be answered with this. This too shall pass. I'm only passing through. This too shall pass. Amen? I mean, when it rains bad outside, you have a Texas thunderstorm in the spring or whenever, it's bad. There have been times in this building, we have been huddled in this sanctuary because of tornadoes that have dropped near us and terrible storms outside with all of us watching weather on our iPhones or iPads, whether or not we were going to be hit. But we always knew this too shall pass. The Christian passes through all these valleys. And it's comforting to note, think about this, that it's only because the sun is shining that a shadow is created. Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow. Why is there a shadow? Because the sun is shining. If the sun wasn't shining, there'd be no shadow. A shadow was only there because there's a light shining. So when you're going through the valley of the shadow, it's shadowy because there is a light shining, not S-U-N light, but S-O-N light is shining on you. And, and that's why there's a shadow. The sun is shining still. You know, I pray all the time. There's a psalm. It's my favorite, one of my favorite, top favorite psalms, Psalm 80. And the, and the psalmist says over and over again, Lord, shine your face on me. Shine your face on me. Shine. If you shine your face on me, we shall be saved. If you shine your face on me, we shall be delivered. If you shine your face on me, Lord, what a difference it's going to make. And I pray all the time, Lord, shine your face on me. Shine your face on Turning Point. Shine your face on us. You ought to read it sometime. It's powerful. In every valley, our good shepherd takes our hand and he says, follow me. Let's go through this together. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I do, I won't fear evil because you are with me. And the way he's with us, he says, follow me. Let's go through this together. Take my hand. Let's go through this valley together. You're not alone in this valley. People may have walked out, but he never walks out. You're, he's with you in the valley there are times when we say, do we not, Lord, this is one step, this trial is one step away from being more than I can handle. You ever felt that way? I mean, if I got to take one more, if there's got to be one more thing, it's more than I can handle. But that's when we got to remind ourselves of what Paul wrote. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor devils. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. But Paul didn't stop there. 
Now he's on a roll. No power in the sky above. No power in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We know that the Lord of our valleys will see us through. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Amen. Now, I'm not trying to sound spiritual. I'm not trying to sound, I'm not throwing slogans at you, spiritual slogans. But I'm going to tell you, this is true. There are great advantages to the valleys of your life. There are great advantages to the valleys of our lives, for both for real sheep and also for God's children. Now, let me share a few. First, the shepherd knows it's in the valleys where the best water is found. It's in the valleys where the best water is found. Refreshing water flows in those valleys because it's the melted snow from the mountaintops. And it it manifests in rivers and in streams and in deep ravines. Sheep have been known to literally run to the edges of these streams, these cold, pure streams of fresh water to quench their burning thirst after a long drive in summer months. And, And it's the same with us, folks, Christian, believer, Child of God, listen, it's often the case the Christian finds refreshment from God himself on a level they've not ever known before in the valley, in the valley. When we walk with him through some very deep troubles, we discover he alone can provide sources of refreshment. Just like he provided water from the rock for his children in the wilderness, he gives us water. Now, what does Paul say about that rock in the wilderness? He said the rock that followed them was Christ. The rock that followed them was Christ. The, the, the way that water gave them, uh, or that rock gave them water was because Christ followed them. He brought water out of the rock. Well, our rock is not a stone. It's the real rock, Jesus Christ. And it's out of him. When we go to him, strike him, turn to him, by faith in the wilderness, water flows out to us in the wilderness. And on top of this, it's as we walk through the valleys that God prepares prepares us to minister to others who are in the same predicament in valleys, just as Water can only flow in a ditch or channel or valley. So the Christian's life, the life of God can only flow in blessing through the valleys that have been carved and cut into our own lives by trying experiences. Now, let me tell you something. Where you experience the most pain, that's where God's going to cause the most water to flow from you into others' lives. Can I say that again? Where you experience the most pain, that is is a place that God carves into your soul through which he is going to flow water into the lives of others to be a blessing to them through you. That's the way that it works. A second positive to valley experiences is that valleys provide the richest feed and the best forage for the sheep. Generally, the choicest meadows are in these valleys along the stream banks. Choicest meadows. They're there because of the stream, and the stream is watering those meadows. Likewise, it's in our own valley experiences where we find the richest times in God's word and in his gracious presence. When we seek his face, folks, 
in troubled times. You know, there's a saying, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Right? Now, that's people. When you go through a trial, you're going to be one of those two. The, the heat of that trial is either going to melt you in God's presence like butter or it's going to harden your heart like clay. I've seen people go through a trial and say, you know what, I wasn't counting on this. Nobody told me about this. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. And they leave church. They, they, they walk away from the Lord. And that, the heat of that trial hardens their heart like clay. But I've seen other people, and I want to be one of them, that when they go through a hot trial, they go through an oven experience. They go through a valley. Instead of hardening their heart against God, they melt in the presence of God. And, and that's, what, that's what David is talking about here. That it's when we go through the valley and, and we seek God in that valley. And we don't turn from him, we turn toward him. And, and we seek his face. We say, oh God, I need your help. That is when God causes us to encounter the water from the rock. And that is where we dig into his word and find things we never found before. I'm going to tell you as a pastor of many years that, that a lot of what, as a matter of fact, most of what I preach to you week to week to week to week flows from the wellspring of what the Spirit of God taught me in my valley experiences. And let me tell you, there's been a bunch of them. Sometimes I say, Lord, I've had enough valleys for one life. But you know what? The deal is, you go from mountaintop to valley, from mountaintop to valley, mountaintop to valley. And when you go through those valleys, you don't want your heart hardening like clay against the Lord. You want to melt in the presence of God. You want to bow before him. You want to break before him. And you want to say, Lord, here I am. Do with me as you please. Teach me. And, and, and you hit that rock with faith. And, and the rock gives you water in the wilderness. And then you find that right along that water is rich, rich Grass, the, 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 the gold of God's word. I've been, I remember a particularly, really tough valley I went through. Every morning at the break of dawn, I would get up, and I'd grab my Bible, and I'd grab my Matthew Henry commentary. Now, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But Matthew Henry wrote one of the most popular commentaries on the Bible in history. It's very readable. It's very devotional, uh, devotionally um, angled. And, and I would go out on my patio and as the sun rose, I would read the Bible and read Matthew Henry. Every verse I read, I would read what Matthew Henry wrote about it, and I would sit out there, and I would dig and dig and dig. And it was my valley experiences that drove me into the Word of God in prayer like nothing else. Didn't David say, before I was afflicted, I wandered. But now that I've been afflicted, I seek your face and your Word. In the valleys... A lot of what you hear from me as your pastor, I'm telling you, it was spoken to me, made real to me, confirmed to me, affirmed to me in the valley. Now, I'm not asking for valleys, Lord. No flat tires, no valleys. I've never had to ask for suffering. It's found me. Amen? But watch this. I can tell you in the valley, I became convinced that the Bible was the very word of God. In the valley. In the valley. It was like, this is the word of God. Well, I always knew it, but in the valley, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew it was the word of God. I came out of the valley experiences of life 
with, with a steel-like conviction that the Bible was not like any other book, that every word is inspired by God and it's perfect and flawless. It's the word of God. It was in the valley and, and emerging from the valley that I came out with firm confidence in God's sovereignty over all things, including me, that he was in charge of my life. I learned to wait on him in the valley. I became better acquainted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, and Paul, and Peter, James, John, and Jude, all of them. They became my buddies in the valley. Come on, everybody. Because in, in the valley, you're in that word for your life. You're in prayer for your life. You got to get a word from God for your life. And it's in the valley that he feeds you, quenches your thirst with that water from the rock, Jesus Christ, and feeds you, gives you revelation from his word. Come on, everybody. Right? It also ought to be noted that it's in the valleys where predators are very near. In real shepherding, in the valley, predators are very, very near. Mountain lions, bears, and fierce storms break out very suddenly in those valleys. This is where the shepherd steps up to show himself the protector of the sheep. See, you, you come out of your valleys knowing he was with me. You come out of your valleys knowing God walked me through this. The Lord Jesus Christ shepherded me through this valley he can be counted on. He's a good shepherd, a powerful shepherd, a providing shepherd, a guiding shepherd. Amen. The sheep witness the shepherd confronting the predators in the valley and leading them to shelter in the storms in the valley. So in short, they learn to trust the shepherd in the valley like nowhere else. You don't learn these things on the mountaintops. You learn in the valley. Now, if you're in a valley tonight, it may be hurting. It may be difficult. You may feel alone. But I want to assure you, you are not alone. There is a shepherd with you, the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus. And he's walking you through that valley, and he's teaching you in that valley. Amen. Aaron, be ready because I might be able to take some questions tonight. I'm, I'm looking at where I am. Maybe I can take a few. I'm just throwing that out. No, it's okay. Not yet. But okay. Aaron's ever ready like that battery, right? All right. <laughs> All right. Now we come to the second part of verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Now, to us, we go, yeah, that's cool. I know about a, a staff from Christmas plays, right? But here's the deal. Here's real shepherding. In the Middle East, in Bible times, when a shepherd had led his sheep into the high country, he carried with him two things, a rod and a staff. Every shepherd took a rod and a staff. Now, let's talk about the rod. The rod was whittled from a young sapling to perfectly fit the shepherd's hand. And after whittling it, he would spend hours learning how to throw it with great speed and accuracy, the rod. The rod became an extension of the owner's own right arm. The rod symbolized his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. 
Not only did he use it to ward off predators, but also as a disciplinary tool with his sheep when they wandered away. Everybody say the rod. Now, how's that apply to us today? So here, here's the shepherd. He's whittled this rod. It was bulky on one end and, and you know, just a narrow rod on the other end. And, and he could take that thing and throw it with accuracy, great accuracy. So he was lethal with this thing. For Christians today, our great shepherd's rod is the word of God. Through his mighty word, the enemy is sent running. Our good shepherd hurls his word at Satan when he attacks the sheep. And that's what a shepherd would do with the rod. When he would see an animal, a predator attacking the sheep, he would lean back and he would fire that rod at them, hurl that rod at them, and it would hit them with great force. And with the rod, he drove the predators away. The rod for us is the Bible you hold in your hand. For Christians today, our great shepherd's rod is the word of God. Through his mighty word, the enemy is sent running. Our good shepherd hurls his word at Satan when he attacks the sheep. And it's through his word that the enemy is defeated. And we too utilize that mighty rod to send the enemy packing with a firm, it is written. Amen. So everybody say, the rod. Now, here's a second use for the rod. The shepherd also uses the rod for disciplining his sheep. Uh Uh-oh. When the sheep wander, the shepherd will hurl the rod with great accuracy to send the sheep scurrying back to the fold. If the shepherd sees the sheep approaching poisonous weeds or getting too close to danger of one kind or another, the rod will come whistling through the air in a firm, loving rebuke. Whack! Get back into the fold. Where do you think you're going? Amen? Now, folks, is, this is so easy to apply to us today because how often can we say that in times of our own personal wandering away from the shepherd, the word comes whistling into our mind to remind us of God's truth? Where do you think you're going? Walk. What, what do you think you're doing? Walk. That's what I love about the Word of God. It sticks in your soul like nothing else. I, I have found that it's easier to memorize the Word of God than almost anything because it's, it's, it's designed by God to stick in your soul. That's why, man, if you want the Holy Spirit to have ammunition when you're attacked by the devil, you need to memorize the Word of God because a lot of people, a lot of people don't ever memorize it. They, they don't ever read it. And then when the devil attacks, the Holy Spirit goes looking for Bible verses in their soul and there aren't any. There's nothing to throw at the devil. See, he can only use against the devil what's already in my mind. You know, we got, some of us, we got a, a file cabinet, Bible verses, and the Holy Spirit opens it up when we're under attack. He opens up that file cabinet, Bible verses, and there's nothing in there. He's looking through it, and there's no Bible verses. And so he has nothing to pull out and hurl at the devil like a rod. But if he opens up that file and we've memorized and we've lived in the word of God and our mind and our spirits are full of the word, he picks this and he picks that and he hurls it like a rod at the devil and we're able to be delivered by the power of the word of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God in the pulling down of strong. So tonight if the devil or if the Lord went searching through your file cabinet, what would he find? 
If the shepherd sees the sheep approaching poisonous weeds or getting too close to danger, boy, he hurls that rod. The same thing with God and us. When he sees us headed towards danger, here comes the word. When sinners entice you, do not consent. Here comes the word. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There comes the word. Over and over and over, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will no longer be subject to the power of sin because you have been set free by the power of God. He who the son sets free is free indeed. Over and over again, all kinds of verses. This is why it is so often been said of the Bible, this book will keep you from sin. But I like to add something to it. Either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Can we say that together? Either sin, let's personalize it instead of you say me. Either sin will keep me from this book or this book will keep me from sin. It's so true. It's so true. Have you ever noticed when you're wandering from the shepherd, you're not really interested in reading that Bible because it convicts, right? But when you're battling the devil, oh, you soak in that word because it keeps us from sin. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalms 119 wrote David. How will a young man, young woman cleanse their way, walk in a pure life? By listening to and internalizing the word of God. That's the only way we'll ever get victory over sin. By listening to and internalizing the word of God. Amen. In times of wandering, the word of God is sent by the shepherd into our hearts with surprising suddenness to correct and reprove us. As Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture, can we read this together, everybody? All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Can we thank God for his word tonight? Do you love the Word of God? Do you love the Bible? I mean, let me ask you, do you love the Word of God here tonight? Do you love the Bible? I mean, folks, we'll never make it through this wicked world without the Word of God in our hearts. Amen. There's a third use for the rod, and that was for the shepherd to examine the sheep. Now watch this carefully. The skilled shepherd would take his rod and part the sheep's wool to determine the condition of the skin and health of the body. Before setting off on a long journey, as each animal would come out of the corral and walk through the gate, each sheep was stopped by the shepherd's outstretched rod. Hold on. Hang on. Don't go forward. I I want you to be with me for a minute here. I want to check you out. He would open the fleece with the rod and run his skillful hands over the body, feeling for any signs of trouble, disease, burrs, anything they could afflict that sheep on the long journey. Now listen to me, church. Every time we open God's word, the shepherd holds out the rod, parts the wool, and checks our soul out. 
checks us out and sees if there's any flaws or any dangers. Listen, there's never a morning when I read the Word of God that something doesn't hit me, and I say, oh, gosh, Lord, I give that to you. I give that to you because the Word of God is the rod. And it parts the wool. The wool represents the superfluities of our life, the surface things. It parts the wool so that God can get down to business. What's inside your soul? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's talking about the shepherd's inspection of our soul. And he does it through the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's powerful. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen? You never know what's in you until the Word of God reveals what's in you. Amen? Because it's a light. How many of you love for the Word of God? Even though it hurts a little bit. Come on, it hurts. We don't like it. But aren't you glad the Word shows you things? It's like getting a a spiritual physical, right? Not always pleasant, but it can save us much pain down the road if we submit to God's inspection today. The wise Christian will take advantage of this process by daily spending time in the Word of God and prayer. This kind of daily inspection will keep us from the devil's tactics and from the slow creep of sin into our lives. So David says, thy rod comforts me. Now we're going to go to the staff and then we're done. Finally, there's the staff. He also said, thy staff comforts me. Nothing identifies the shepherd as a shepherd more than the staff. While the rod is a symbol of power and authority and discipline, the staff symbolizes the shepherd's kindness, long-suffering, and comfort. While the rod symbolizes God's word, the staff symbolizes God's spirit. We all know what the staff looks like. It's a long, slender stick with a crook or a hook on one end. That's where the phrase, I'm going to do it by hook or crook. Okay? Okay? It serves three key purposes in sheep management, and I'm going to close with these. First, the staff is used by the shepherd to gather the sheep to himself. That's what he does. He's always reaching out, pulling them to himself by that hook on the end of the staff. And he will literally use his staff to gently lift a newborn lamb and bring it to himself. The the ewe will have a, a lamb. The shepherd will reach down there with the staff and pick up that newborn lamb with the staff and bring it to himself. And in the same way, folks, our good shepherd's staff, the Holy Spirit, draws us to the shepherd and places us in his hands the moment we are saved. Isn't that beautiful? The moment we're saved. The second use of the staff is for guiding sheep. As the shepherd leads them along a narrow trail or onto a new path, he reaches out. Now, this is the way he does it. Here they are. Let's say he's taking 100 sheep somewhere, all right? So here's 100 slow-moving, grazing, kind of obnoxious, difficult sheep, always wanting to wander, always, you know, having to keep your eye on them. And, And so here they go, and he's taking them down a narrow path, 
that is a little bit dangerous. So one of those sheep begins to go off a little bit. Here's what he'll do with that staff. He reaches out to the sheep with the very tip of that staff and gently applies pressure to the side of the sheep. And he will immediately allow that staff to guide him back where the shepherd wants him to go. Just a little gentle nudge. No, 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 no. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. Stay on the road. Come on, stay on the road. Where are you going? Stay on the road. Stay with me. Guiding it along. In the same way, our walk with God, we are told explicitly by Jesus himself that it would be his spirit who would be sent to God and lead us into all truth. How many times in our everyday life do we sense the good shepherd's staff, his Holy Spirit, nudge us? Come on, everybody. Have you been nudged this week? I've been nudged this week. Nudge us, all right? As if to say, this is the way. Walk in it. Come on. Come on. This is the way. It's a nudge. It's a little impression. It's either go there or don't go there. Say that or don't say that. Think that. Or don't think that. Do that or don't do that. Nudge. Come on, get back on the trail. Get back on the trail. Thy staff comforts me. Because I know he's not going to let me get out there without, where are you going? Come on, come on. You're not so far away, i got to whack you with that rod. But you're starting to go, so I'm going to give you a little gentle nudge. Have you ever noticed if you don't listen to the nudge, the rod's next? I want the staff more than I want the rod, right? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, if you say, oh, no, no, leave me alone. I don't want you to nudge me. I want to go this way. Well, let me tell you what's coming next. Whack! Get back over here. It's absolutely true. It's his spirit who walks quietly within and beside us to make our shepherd real and personal and intimate. Thank God for the rod that corrects us and the staff that guides us. Can we thank the Lord tonight? (laughs) Truly his rod and his staff comfort me. Amen. Now, we did close a little bit early. So does anybody have a... Now, here's what we do sometimes. This takes great courage on my part because I can take a question or two live from the audience. Does anybody have a question based on what I've shared tonight? Anybody have? Because I'll let you ask me, and I'll answer it right here. How often do you get to ask me a question right here like this, and I can answer it? You don't have to. But anybody have a question that you'd like for me? Okay, wait, wait. Right here. Hang on, hang on. They can't hear you. Oh, (laughs) that's good. If you could just repeat real quick. The rod was power, authority, and discipline, and the staff was... You've mentioned three. Oh, yeah. The, the, the rod is the authority, and the staff is, is uh, his comfort. Comfort. It's his comfort. Gather guidance. Yep. Anyone else? Quick question. How many of you have been blessed by this series so far? Amen? Amen. Let me, let me stand up and just see. Does anybody have a question? Going once. Going twice. Where's one? Oh, Barbara, there's a couple from the left. Leave it to the left to have the questions. (laughs) Just kidding. 
Don't give him the mic. Hold on to it, Ty. It gets dangerous, Aaron. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, sometimes it can be unclear, like, what a nudge feels like. Like, sometimes you feel a nudge to do something, and it could be, like, a temptation or something, but it's just so convoluted. Like, it can be very difficult to tell if it's God telling you to do it or if it's a temptation to do it. Okay, that's a good question. Here's how you know. If the nudge is leading you to do something against the Word of God, it's not the Holy Spirit. If it's leading you to do something that the Bible would call sin, it's not the Holy Spirit. If, if the nudge is to pull you away from sin and to pull you or draw you towards the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. The devil, remember it says God tempts no man. God never tempts us, ever. So if it's a temptation of sin, it's never the Lord. It's always the devil or your flesh. Every man is tempted when he was drawn away of his own lust and enticed, James wrote. And then goes the different stages all the way down to finally a sin. But temptation begins with, your, with the devil using your own, you're enticed by your own lust. And the devil plays that guitar. He plays that tune. He tries to appeal to the weakness of your flesh. But God will always lead you towards what? the Bible would call righteousness, and that's how you know. Okay, Barbara? Oh, you didn't have a question? Oh, that, okay. Anyone else? Yes, David. So, uh, come on. Yeah. So, uh, as the Lord's Prayer goes, and lead me not into temptation. Right. So, why... So the Lord will not tempt us. Yeah. So why is why are we telling him don't lead us into temptation? The meaning, okay, that's a good question. And the meaning, that's in the Lord's prayer. The meaning is really, Lord, keep me in the hour of temptation. Keep me strong. Don't allow me to fall into temptation. Be my strength. Be at my side. Don't allow me to fall prey to the devil. So he's not saying, Lord, don't you lead me, but he's essentially saying, pray that in the hour of temptation, God is with you. And the, uh, Paul the apostle wrote that he will always make a way of escape. And so, Lord, I'm looking for that way of escape. Let me see the door marked exit. See that door marked exit? In any temptation, God always has an exit door. And we need to look for it and take it. I mean, don't sit and stare at it and say, well, yeah, there's an exit door. There it is, right there, marked exit. Yeah, hallelujah, God really did give me an exit door. What good does it do you if you don't run through it? You got to run through it. So he's, he's saying, Lord, don't let me be taken by temptation. Be my strength and give me a way out. Amen? Anyone else? All right, let's stand together. Amen. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Amen. How many of you are walking through a valley right now? Let me see if you don't mind saying you're walking through a valley. Amen. How many of you have experienced the comfort of the rod and the staff? Amen. Praise God. Lord, right now we just thank you for your presence, for your power. We thank you for your faithfulness to walk us through the valley of the shadow, that we are not alone.
that you will get us to the other side. Thank you for it, Lord. Now lead us and guide us. Direct us and help us. And Lord, we do pray. Lead us not into temptation. That is, Lord, keep us in the hour of temptation. Be our strength. Be very present. And help us to walk through that exit door. Run through that exit door. And Lord, thank you that on the other side of the valleys we're passing through, there is a mountaintop waiting. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.